are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Second Peter chapter number one. We're going to be, begin reading in verse number 19 and read down through the end of chapter number one. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, through the end of the chapter, let's read aloud, endeavoring to stay together as we read our scripture text this evening. Beginning in verse number 19, ready, begin. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, for the wonderful privilege that is ours to live in a nation where we have the freedom and the liberty to possess without fear a copy of the Word of God, where we can join in a place like this and without having to be apprehensive of being heard or of what might happen if we're discovered, we can lift our voices and sing aloud your praise. We can gather together and open your word and hear it taught and hear it preached. And Lord, may you help us to take full advantage of the liberties with which we have been blessed. And tonight, Lord, we've gathered because we want to hear from you. We need you to speak to our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to give you our undivided attention. And I pray that through the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit tonight, you might help us to be strengthened, to be helped, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to go out into a dark world and be a light pointing men to Christ. May you have your will and way in everything that's said and done, and we'll thank you for what's accomplished, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at our text this evening... We know that these are the words that are penned, humanly speaking, by the Apostle Peter. Uh, the Apostle Peter was a great man, one of the most well-known men in the pages of history. Uh, he's the only man outside of the Lord Jesus Christ who ever walked on water. Nobody in here can claim that ability or that feat, that experience, uh, he was with the Lord Jesus Christ when uh, Jesus went into that upper room and took that little girl who lay dead, sent out the mourners. And Peter was there with James and John as Jesus spoke to her and she came to life again. Jesus, uh, Peter was one of those disciples with the Lord Jesus Christ when he took five small loaves and two small fishes and broke them and fed 5,000 men besides women and children. Peter saw some amazing things. And I got to thinking tonight, I wonder what the crowd size would be if 
We had announced this week that the Apostle Peter was going to show up to preach tonight. Uh, probably there would be standing room only. People would be coming from all over the nation if they knew that somehow the Apostle Peter would be here to speak to us and to share with us his experiences and tell us about all that he knew and all that he had seen as he walked and talked with Jesus as Christ was here on earth. Perhaps tonight Peter would have shared with us uh, what it felt like to preach on the day of Pentecost and see 3,000 people respond in faith, believing, and follow the Lord in baptism and unite with the church. Can you imagine experiencing something like that? But Peter's not here. But I guess in a sense he is because we have his words. So therefore, let's give ear to the words that Peter has written and see what he has to say for us tonight. I, I want to begin by way of introduction by noting, first of all, the background of Peter's message. Peter has something to say to us tonight, but it's always beneficial, it's always helpful. If you can kind of get the setting for what's going on, it helps it all make sense. And so I'm interested in the background of Peter's message this evening. This is, by the way, Peter's second epistle. You didn't know I was such an astute Bible scholar that I could figure that out when it says Second Peter at the top of the page. Usually I've learned if there's a second, that means there was a first. And this is Peter's second epistle. Now, as Peter writes this second epistle, the tone in which he's writing is completely different. It's, it's very different than his first epistle that he wrote uh, here in the Word of God. When Peter took his pen in hand and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit began to write his first epistle, he was concerned, he was moved by the suffering of God's people. In fact, if we were to take time, you could turn back to chapter number four of 1 Peter and Peter will say something like this. I think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. You see, in 1 Peter, the, the church is suffering as uh, persecution has come against them and as opposition has arisen up. But when he writes 2 Peter, when he takes his pen in hand again and begins to write the epistle from which our text is drawn, he's not moved by the suffering of God's people. But on this occasion, he is moved, he is concerned by the seduction of God's people. While in 1 Peter, he's focused on what Satan, the devourer, is doing, he'll say that to be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's his thought in 1 Peter. In 2 Peter, he's not concerned about what Satan, the devourer, is doing. He's concerned about what Satan, the deceiver, is doing. In 1 Peter, the attack is coming from without. It's those outside the body, outside the fellowship who are attacking the work of God. But in 2 Peter, the attack is coming from within. Peter will talk about that in chapter 2 and verse number 1. He says, there shall be false teachers among you also. He says in verse number 15 of chapter 2, they have forsaken the right way and are gone astray. He'll say down there in verse number 19, 
while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. Peter's concerned, he's upset, he's bothered because now what once was a problem on the outside facing the church now has become a problem in their midst facing them. Peter looks around and and he's somewhat distressed. He's alarmed at what's taking place. And, And by the way, he realizes that his time is short. Verse number 14 of chapter number one, he said, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Peter said, I understand. I'm looking around and and I notice that there's false teachers. I know that there's seduction going on. People are being led astray and, and there's false teachers that have risen up in the midst and it's concerned me because my time is short and I know that I'm gonna be leaving you in this circumstance and situation. So Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes up his pen, begins to write. There's the background of his message. But I want you to also think about the burden of his message. What is Peter going to do? What what is Peter endeavoring to accomplish as he writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He's determined to remind his readers about the truth. Look in chapter number one, chapter number one, verse number 12, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. He said, I've got my pen in my hand and I'm writing. And he says, as I'm writing, I want to remind you, I have not been neglectful to remind you of this truth. Every time you've heard me, every time I've visited, every time I've sent a letter to you, I haven't been neglectful. I've been always busy reminding you of the truth. And he says in verse number 13, yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He said, by the way, I haven't been neglectful about reminding you. And as long as I live, I'm gonna keep on reminding you about the truth. And if that's not enough, look in verse number 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. He said, I've always been busy reminding you about the truth. I'm gonna keep on reminding you about the truth. And when I'm dead and gone, I'm gonna leave a letter behind to remind you about the things I reminded you about when I was here. Can I say our danger is in forgetting the truth? You see, that's the burden of Peter's heart. He knows that his days are few. He understands that the danger is real and his determination is set in his heart. I'm gonna write this letter. I'm gonna pen this epistle. In fact, he says in chapter three and verse number one, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. In other words, he says, the answer in a situation like this, in a time when there is uncertainty and when there are false teachers at work and, and when things uh, people are being led astray, he said the answer is the truth. That's always the answer. You see, that's the backbone of his message. Peter says the answer is truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And can I say to you tonight, that the answer when attacked by seducing spirits 
is the word of God. Uh, When you're beset by devilish doctrines, get to the word of God. When you're confronted by pernicious philosophies, get to the word of God. This is always the answer. This is always the place. This is always the thing that we have to turn to and we have to cleave to. We must lean and cleave to the word of God. That's the only thing that's gonna answer the questions that face us. Can I say to you tonight, for those of you young men who are in the college preparing to go out into the ministry, my advice to you tonight would be spend less time on blogs and more time in the book. Can I say to you young ladies, my advice would be to you tonight, spend less time on Facebook and more time in God's book. I wanna tell you, you can't get too much of the Bible. You say, well, I'm just afraid I'll be out of balance, I'll be out of kilter. I wanna tell you a good saturation of the word of God will never put anybody out of balance. It'll keep you dead on center. It'll keep you on the right path, on the right way. What we need more than anything in the day and age in which we live is we need to get back just simply to the truth of the word of God. The word of God alone is sufficient. Now, Peter's concerned about the truth. He's focused on the truth. And I wanna know what Peter has exactly to say about the truth of the word of God. So we come to our text tonight. Notice, first of all, Peter speaks about two things in these three verses that we've read for our text. Peter, first of all, speaks about the comfort of this book. Oh, and can I say to you tonight that this book is a most comforting book. Oh, the dearest possession that I have is this book right here. The most wonderful thing I have ever owned in my life is this book right here. The most treasured item that has ever been held in these hands is this book right here. Oh, I want to tell you, we need to fall in love with this book. Notice as he looks and he begins to remind them that in an age of change and instability, there's comfort in the word of God. Notice how he starts. He talks about the scriptures to which we look. He said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, again, we need to look at the context. Why does Peter say, we have a more sure word of prophecy? Well, if you know anything about the English language, if you're gonna talk about something being more, you have to have something to start with before you can have more, right? There has to be a comparison there. So Peter has been telling us about something phenomenal that has been experienced in his own life. Look at verse number 16. He said, we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. All of a sudden, Peter has gone back in his mind. He has begun to recollect the experience that he had on the mount of transfiguration. And all the experience Peter had. I mean, it was there that Peter had a vision. Peter had a vision unlike any vision that other men had ever seen. 
In fact, he describes it in verse number 16. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That is, when Peter and James and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, we read in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Christ was transfigured before their eyes. And he shone, his glory shone forth as the brightness of the sun. I mean, it was unlike anything they had ever seen. All the other times they had seen Christ, he had been veiled in flesh and his glory had been hidden. But they got up there on the Mount of Transfiguration and for just a few minutes, God opened the veil and allowed them to see and behold the Son of God in all of his glory and all of his majesty. And Peter said, we've never seen anything like that. I had a great vision. Not only did Peter experience a vision, Peter heard a voice. He said, that's what he said, verse number 17. He said, there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, Peter literally heard the audible voice of God the Father speaking from heaven. What a phenomenal experience. I mean, he's seen a vision. He's heard a voice. And by the way, he got a visitation. There he is on that mount. He sees Christ in all of his glory, unveiled. He hears the Father's voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And he turns and looks over his shoulder and there standing behind him is Elijah and Moses. Man, what an experience. The representative for the prophets and the law. I mean, two of the greatest characters that are ever found written upon the pages of Old Testament Scripture. Moses, that great emancipator who led Israel out of Egypt, and Elijah, that great prophet who boldly stood before Ahab and said it'll not rain for three and a half years except by my word. And Peter saw it all. But now, there's Peter's experience. But now notice Peter's evaluation. Peter says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Peter said, I can tell you about visions. I can tell you about voices. I can tell you about visitations. But I want to tell you, there's something better than visions. There's something better than voices. There's something better than uh, visitations. And that is a more sure word of prophecy. You have a book that you can hold in your hand that God has given to you. The problem with visions is that they grow dim. The problem with voices is that they fade away. The problem with visitations is that they're soon forgotten. But you have something that will not fade away, something that need not be forgotten, something that need not be forsaken. You have the word of God every day of your life. You can pick it up. You can look to it. You can reread it. You can research it. You can rely upon it. It never changes. What a blessing to have the word of God you can hold in your hand. He talks about the scriptures to which we look. But notice Peter says, here's what he says. He says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And then he gives some advice. He says, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. He, he begins to talk about the shadows in which we live. Can I say to you that the world is a dark place? 
You know, I don't like the dark. I, my wife gets on me every once in a while because I just leave lights on. And here's always my answer. I always try to have a Bible reason for everything I do. And she'll say, why'd you leave the light on? I said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's what the book says, isn't it? She said, well, make the light bill go up. I said, well, I pay it, and I, I, just, I, I just like the light on. I, I come in Sunday afternoon sometimes and, and try to get a few minutes early to choir practice because it's a Baptist choir practice. If you don't get there early, you can't sit on the back row. And so I want to sit on the back row, so I try to come in early. And, and, and like every good Baptist, I have my seat in the auditorium. Now, there's 3,000 seats in here, but there's one that's mine. You know how it is. That's where you're at tonight. And, uh, and so I want to come in. I want to put my Bible on that seat so I have my seat, but then I want to get to the choir room so I can sit in the back row. And I come in the auditorium, and guess what? There's no lights on. Have you ever been in this auditorium when there's not one light on and the doors are shut? It's dark. I mean, double D-A-R-K dark. And I reach in my pocket and I, I pull out my phone. And I figured out how, that it has a flashlight on it. I have a smartphone, it just has a dumb operator and it takes me a while to figure some things out. And, and so I got my phone out, I figured out how to turn the flashlight on. When I come through the door, I turn the flashlight on and guess what I do? Because I'm in a dark place, I take heed unto the light. I set it right on my path and I follow exactly where it's shining till I get to my place. I put my Bible down. I make my way across and out the side door and then I turn the light off. Can I say this world is a dark place? We're surrounded by the darkness of unbelief. We're beset by the darkness of unrighteousness. Many times we find ourselves in the midst of the darkness of uncertainty. But oh, I've got news for you tonight. Yes, the world is a dark place, but we have a light. We have something to help us see how to get around in the dark place. We have something to keep us from going astray in the dark place. We have something to keep us from falling and stumbling and injuring ourselves or hurting someone else in the dark place. We have the light of the word of God. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse number 130, the entrance of thy word giveth light. He said in Psalm 119 and verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, I, I love to study the Bible. It's, it, it's a fascinating book. It, it's like the, the puzzle with no end. I, Brother Sloan and I were talking one day and we had a question and we debated, we discussed, we researched, we studied. We found the answer, but we found two more questions while we were finding the answer. And that seems to be my lot. I find one answer and find two or three more questions. So it's like the more I learn, the less I know. That's the way I feel. But I love the Old Testament because so many things that are made plain in the New Testament you can, if you go back and look, you can begin to see them appear in the Old Testament. And one of my favorite things to study is that tabernacle of the Old Testament that Israel had as they made their journey 
from uh, Mount Sinai, the rest of their wilderness wanderings, they had that tabernacle that God said, I want you to make a tabernacle so you can, so I can meet with you there. That's an awesome thought that God wanted to meet with them. God wasn't just happy to lead them out. God wanted to live among them. Man, what an awesome thing that is that God wanted to live among them. And I, I've done some study on that tabernacle. Here's one of the most fascinating things. Everything in that tabernacle, that tabernacle, it, it, it takes up 50 chapters of the Bible. Between Old and New Testament, there's 50 chapters about the tabernacle and there's five words about the creation of the universe. He made also the stars. And yet God takes 50 chapters to tell us about a structure that's 150 feet long and 75 feet wide that is portable. God has a different priority than we have. You know why he's so interested in that tabernacle? Because that tabernacle is the most complete and the most perfect type of the person and work of Jesus Christ that you'll find on the pages of Scripture. Oh, I begin to study that tabernacle. And one of the fascinating things is there's only seven articles of furniture. And one of those articles of furniture is a candlestick. We've all seen it, the menorah, the, the Jewish candlestick, and, and we've seen different variations of it. But if you go to Exodus 25, you don't have to turn there now. You can look it up when you get home. Go to Exodus 25, and God tells Moses how to make it. And he gives him very specific instructions. It's one of those passages of Scripture where we read through and we go, like, blah, 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 blah. I don't know why I had to know that. That's the way we all get sometimes, isn't it? But if you read it real slow, you'll discover that God said, I want you to take one piece of gold weighing a talent. I want you to take a hammer and I want you to hammer it into a shape of a candlestick. He said, here's what I want. He said, I want a candlestick in the middle and then I want, on this side, I want three branches coming out and on this side, I want three branches coming out. So when you look at the top of that candlestick, you have the candlestick and then you have three other branches that are the same size, uh, uh, the same height, so you have seven points of light. But then God says something very interesting. God says, now I want you to decorate. I want you to hammer a decoration on each one of those branches. So he says over here on this, this furthermost, outermost branch that's the lowest, he said, I want you to put a bowl and a knop and a flower. And then I want you to put another bowl and another knop and another flower and then another bowl and a knop and a flower. So how many decorations going to be on this branch? Bowl, knop, and flower times three. Three times three is nine. Then he said on this next one, I want you to do bowl, knop, flower, bowl, knop, flower, bowl, knop, flower. Another nine decorations. On this uh, most innermost branch on this side. I want you to put a bowl, not flower, bowl, not flower, bowl, not flower. So now we have nine plus nine plus nine decorations. Then he said on this other side of this candlestick, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to put a bowl, not and a flower, bowl, not and flower, bowl, not and flower. I want you to do nine, nine, nine decorations. But he said now on the candlestick itself, on that part that's in the middle, uh, above those first two branches that come out, put a bowl and a knop and a flower. Then in between those next two, before the next two come, you've got two coming out, then you've got two more. He said, in between those sets, I want you to put a bowl and knop and a flower. Then in between the lowest set of branches and that middle set, I want you to put a bowl and knop and a flower. But then he said, I want you to add one more set underneath those lowest branches. I want you to put a bowl and knop and a flower. You say, so what? I've read that, but it doesn't make any sense. I know. But now we got nine decorations here and nine decorations here and nine decorations here. 
12 decorations on this middle one, nine, nine, and nine. Anybody figured out how many decorations that is? 66 decorations. Oh, what a coincidence. And by the way, we can't break the middle candlestick in two, so if we want to divide it, we got to put it on one side or another. So let's just put it on what we're going to call the first side. And then we're going to leave these three branches on the second side by themselves. So on the first side, we have 27 plus 12, 39 decorations. And on this side, we got 27 decorations. I just happen to know that in the first half of this book, there's 39 books called an Old Testament. And in the second half of this book, there happens to be 27 books called a New Testament. 66 in total. God already knew in Exodus 25 how many books is gonna be in the canon of Scripture. And man hadn't even wrote it yet. Why forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's a miracle book right here. And by the way, in that tabernacle, that was the only light they ever had. But it was sufficient to enable them to do everything God wanted them to do. And I want to tell you, in this earthly tabernacle, this is all the light we have. This is all the spiritual insight we're going to get. But I want to tell you, if you'll open it up, if you'll turn it on, if you'll take heed to it, It'll be sufficient for you to do everything God wants you to do in this life. You can be well-pleasing to him if you'll just walk in the light of his word, the word of God. The shadows in which we live, the scriptures to which we look. But then notice, he said, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart, there's the sunrise for which we long. Oh, we live in a dark world now but the darkness is almost past. Night is coming to a close. And I want to tell you, one glorious daybreak, there's going to break a dawn like you've never seen before. It's not, I'm not waiting for the S-U-N rise. I'm waiting for the S-O-N rise. And he's going to rise, and he's going to call us to come up hither, and then we won't have to walk in the darkness anymore. Then we'll be in the light of heaven and there is no night there and we'll live with him. You know the last title given to the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament? Revelation twenty two sixteen. he claims it himself. I am the bright and morning star. It's almost like he says, I just want to remind you one last time before we close this book, I am coming again. You may be walking in darkness now, but just keep paying attention to what light you've been given. Just keep that light of the word of God shining on your pathway. Keep following the light of the word of God because one day soon I'm coming again and I'll bring you from darkness into the glorious light of eternity to dwell with me forever. Well, the comfort of this book. But then he reminds us of one more thing. He reminds us about the coming of this book. How can we be so sure? How can I know that this precious book is absolutely trustworthy? How do I know that it's not just another book that someone has written? How do I know it's not just another cunningly devised fable? What's well, going to tell me? It tells me about the coming of this book. He says in verse number 20, knowing this first. Here's the first way you know 
Here's the first clue you have that this is a more sure word of prophecy. He said that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. He said, I want to remind you that this book came not as a self-willed endeavor. He said it wasn't that somebody somewhere decided, you know, I think I need to write a religious book so I'm going to sit down and just start writing and see what I can come up with. Oh, I want to tell you, if you, ever, if you ever get into this book, begin to read it, begin to peruse it, you'll soon discover that man couldn't write something like this. I mean, this is far beyond the capability of man. This is far beyond the ability of man, the miraculous things that you can find in this book. I wish I had time to start telling you about them. I could be here all night. I just love to talk about the amazing things that are found in the Word of God. By the way, let me just throw one more at you while we're here in this tabernacle. I talked about that candlestick. Did you know that there's only seven articles of furniture in that whole tabernacle and that when God laid them out, he told Moses exactly how to set them up and when you look at it, they're laid out in the shape of a cross. Already in the book of Exodus, God is saying, I want to dwell among man, but the only way man can dwell with me is you've got to come by the way of the cross. Oh, I want to tell you, it's a miracle book. It's not some self-willed endeavor, but it's a spirit-worked enterprise. He said, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, God had a far greater purpose. God had a far greater plan. God said, I want somehow to be able to communicate to man. I want men to understand what I want them to do. I want men to understand how much I love them. I want men to know exactly how to go about and have a wonderful life. And the only way I can do that is I'm going to have to write a book and give it to them. And God, in his infinite wisdom, gave us a book that we can hold in our hands. We can hide in our hearts. We can pattern our lives after because it's a light in a dark place. I thought of these words, though the pages, uh, though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. This old book is my guide. It's a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my way. And each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and heed it each day. To this book I will cling, of its worth I will sing, though great losses and crosses be mine. For I cannot despair, though surrounded by care, while possessing this book divine. This book never grows old, for its pages unfold. Fresh blessings from God up above. Oh, it's new every day in a wonderful way. And I give it my undying love. What can I say tonight? Don't forget what a treasure you have. Don't forget what a miracle book this is. We've spent months talking about how to study the Word of God. And it's a light in a dark place, but I want to tell you, if you just leave it on the shelf, the light's not going to help you. If you just leave it in the back window of the car all week, it's not going to help you. 
But I want to tell you how to get you the most help. Pull it down. Open it up. Begin to let it speak to your heart. You'll be amazed how that light will guide you step by step, day by day, until the day star dawns and you're home with you. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.